0: welcome to the housetop podcast the teaching arm of oikos ministries jesus said whatever i tell you in the dark speak in the light and what you hear in the ear preach on the housetops join our host terrell Aber as he teaches god's word good evening uh welcome to the live broad- Facebook live broadcast of Oikos Ministries. We welcome you back. I'm your host, Terrell A. Bear. We've been talking uh, about Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, we've been dealing with the idea of wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And we call this series of messages the seven pillars of wisdom. Now, if you've not kept up, or if you'd like to know more about this, you can Go to our website on www.housechurchesusa.com and you can hear it in its entirety. Or we have podcasts, all kind of ways that you can hear or view this and uh, many other teachings and uh, things that I believe would bless your life. And so I pray that tonight, uh, as we get into this second pillar of wisdom, uh, that uh, the Spirit of the Lord would move mightily to really declare the wisdom of the cross. And so our first session we, we defined wisdom, that wisdom that Proverbs talks about so often. And it talks about that uh, the, the wisdom has uh, builded her house and refers to wisdom as a woman. But he also talks about an adulterous woman all throughout the book of Proverbs. And certainly there is the idea of adultery in the Bible and uh, <clears throat> committing adultery against your spouse, that type of thing. But what we found is uh, what we laid out in our first session is that the wisdom of the cross is the biblical. That's God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. That's that adulterous woman. And if you're in covenant with God, but begin to use the world's wisdom, uh, it really puts you in a situation where you are in an adulterous state with God. And and it, uh, it puts you trying to use an alternate wisdom or blend the two together and kind of like at the judgment of noah when the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were fair to look on they made marriages and uh that's what we see they a mixed marriage where the sons of god marries the daughters of the world we don't want to marry up with the world's wisdom god this is adultery against god and so the bible teaches us on the wisdom of the cross and that's what we come con- concluded on our first session is that in first corinthians chapters 1 and 2 it totally defines God's wisdom as in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we concluded that message that night with uh, uh, if if any man build his house, I'll show you what he's like. He's like, a, if you hear these sayings of mine and do them, you're, you're like a wise man who builded your house on a rock. But uh, he who builds his house on on the sand, is a fool who builds his house on the sand. And so we see the difference between wisdom and folly and wisdom and foolishness. And so in our first pillar of wisdom last week, we've gleaned that from uh, John chapter 12. And it says, he who loves his life in this world will lose it. And so uh, our, we title that first pillar, to love it is to lose it. And, and so that, that comes right out of the paradoxical. These are the sayings of Jesus. And if we're going to build the Christian house on the, on the wisdom of Christ, the seven pillars of Christ's wisdom, he gave, laid out seven sayings, seven paradoxes that go totally against the wisdom of man, totally against the wisdom of your flesh, the reasoning of man. It just goes totally against it. And in my opinion, the one we're going to lay out tonight and set out tonight, uh, it lays it. it it's, there's nothing that makes it clearer about what the cross of Jesus Christ demands from you and I. And so we're going to start with the same passage we had last time in John, chapter 12. Uh, we'll start reading in verse 23. He says, Jesus answers them saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified most assuredly. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. That's what we covered last week. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my him will my father honor. Now, we're, we, we really majored on if you love your life, we'll lose it last week. This week, we're going to we, we just kind of downplay the other aspect of this or the other side of this. It says he that uh, he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Now, let me point something out to you in this passage uh, in, in, in he who loves his life uh, and he who hates his life. That word life there in both of those connotations. Uh, suke, where we get the word soul from. It's the idea of psychology or the soul, the mind, the emotions and the will, the reasoning faculties of man and the seat of our emotions. And so it says, he who loves his life and, uh, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. Now that word life for eternal life is zoe and it literally is the life of God. And I want to point out that when the when a soul sins, when a person sins, just like in the garden, God told Adam, In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day you eat you shall surely die. Now we know that Adam continued to physically live, but what took place is the spiritual separation from God. He was literally separated from the life of God, from Zoe, he was and was left alone as Suke and a physical body with a soul. Now, and we know that you can continue to live like that. But when when Jesus himself said, you are dead in your trespasses and said, Paul said you're dead in your sins. And so when we, uh, the idea of dead men walking, that we're dead while we're alive. That Because we're separated from the life of God. And all we have is a soulless existence. And that soul is so limited that it has to affix itself to something that has the appearance of life to to draw life. It's almost parasitical. It's almost uh, a a, a bloodsucker. It has to draw life from something else. And that's why you see everyone uh, craving some some something that appears to have life to try to satisfy their empty souls. And what you're craving is really the life of God, but you're deceived and don't know what you're looking for. I was there, and I pray that you would find your way out of that darkness and that deception. And, and so we see that, that life defined. But he who hates his life in this world, what a harsh term by Jesus, he who hates his life. The word hate, it seems like it shouldn't even come on the Christian lip, that the word hatred to detest, utterly detest your own life, and I, I can tell you this: once you understand, there, I've been teaching uh, 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 around as as I go in our house churches on a, on a verse from Proverbs. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. You know, hope deferred is that that you know the Christian hope is in the resurrection from the dead. When when we get saved all of a sudden the promise of eternal life enters our heart. We reconnect with communion with God. And so what we find is that the real value is not here anymore, that I want to have communion with my father. My citizenry is in heaven. I, I feel like I've I'm I'm an out. I'm a pilgrim. I'm passing through. It's this is not my life anymore. This is not. This world is not my home. I don't fit here. It's not it's not the fulfillment. It can't even compare with the promises that God's given to me. And so I want to go home. I I just do. I would like to be with God, but he has his purposes for here. So we we this is hope deferred and we get homesick. But when the desire comes it's a tree of life and we know that when that desire comes, we'll get a resurrected body and we'll live eternally with God in sweet communion. Hallelujah. So uh, I totally understand how we could take the perspective of uh, hating our life here. But Jesus gets very pointed and very specific about this. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And uh We'll get more pointed as this uh, teaching unfolds tonight. Matthew's 10th chapter, we, we also covered this last week to a degree. We're going to look at it from the other side. We looked at he who loves his life in this world will find it, uh, will, lose, uh, will lose it. But uh, he who hates his life will keep it unto eternal life. And so we're really majoring on the idea of hating your life in this world. We're going to start reading in verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also uh, will. I also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against the father. Look at there. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Boy, we're getting more and more narrowed down and specific now about what it would mean to hate your life. He said, I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. How so? When you begin to confess Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, when you begin to bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Most High God, when you begin to bear witness, witness means to literally martyr, you're, you're literally you enter the martyrdom with Christ and that There are many people who are going to resent you for this. It brings division. It will not bring peace. It will bring a sword. When you turn with all your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you forsake everything in this world and you begin to follow Christ, when you leave your father and mother's religion, oh, God forbid. When you say i don't want to be catholic or baptist i don't want to be that i want to follow jesus i love the lord jesus with all my heart soul mind and strength and they get a Paul. well we love him too and they get hyper religious and you know good and well they've never been a christian a day in their life but they've followed their religion they curse they smoke they drink that whatever there's no evidence of a new birth but as soon as you say i want to follow jesus with all my heart They come at you like gangbusters. Why won't you be a Methodist anymore? Why won't you be a Pentecostal anymore? Why won't you be? And you want to just follow Jesus. You say, well, I don't understand what you mean. We're talking about the same thing. I have learned something over 41 years of being a Christian that we can have the same words that mean totally different things. The Bible tells me that there is another Jesus people talk about. There's a made up American Jesus. They ain't got nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. There's a made up God. There's nothing like the God in the Bible. There's a made up love that's human love and it's not the love of God. We can look and we can say, I'm saved. And boy, that person say, I am too. And we mean total, two totally different things. And and I talk of a salvation, a great salvation from sin and and that and and, and taking my life out of sin and lifting me up and giving me grace and power over that sin. And they're thinking I'm saved, too. But they're thinking just in the future, they're not going to go to hell. Couldn't care less about sin or repentance or any of that. I've learned that there's an alternate language and we're saying the same words, meaning two different things. And I'm just not put off by this anymore. And I won't fall for the. the the seeming parallel conversation that is not true. It's just religion dressed up, trying to shine and be hyper-religious because you're defending your own positions while you sin away and say you want to go to heaven. And so I wanted you to look at this. He starts the conversation with, if you confess me before men, when you begin to confess the Lord Jesus Christ, I remember the early days of my confession, and, uh, it took a boldness. I, I, I remember having to begin to was one guy, uh, confronted me in the health club, a guy I used to run around with and do drugs with and the whole nine yards said, where you been, man? I ain't seen you. Where, what's happening? And I, said, uh, I said, I said, I got saved. I've followed Jesus now. Oh, you think you're too blankety blanking good for me now? And boy, just got after me. And, uh, it was one of the first real signs that I was, I was saved. I didn't punch him in the nose. But uh, the the fact is that, that we, uh, it was, it was, it was that kind of thing to begin the confession. If you confess me before men, I had to begin to declare and make public proclamation that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I've made this proclamation tens of thousands of times since then, maybe hundreds of thousands. Who know? I don't know how many times I've made this proclamation, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I declare it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The alternative to that is that if you deny me before men, I will also deny you before my father. And the word deny, if you go look it up, the first definition for denial is contradiction. And so to live a life in a contradictory term, even if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, but your contradictory lifestyle is against the teachings of Jesus Christ, you're denying the Lord all day long. There are many people who claim and say, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, but you're, you're, with your mouth, you profess him in your life, you deny him. I want to tell you today, if you come to Christ and you don't hate your life in this world, you will not inherit eternal life. If you're still loving this world and and attached to this world, you cannot have eternal life. It cannot be done. Jesus was very pointed about this. Let's continue. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. When I tell you that when you're when you turn to Christ, The first to me, the first challenge is right there in the family unit. It's right there in your own home when you're uh, I was raised Roman Catholic. When you declare, I'm not going back to Catholic Church, I'm a Christian now. Well, you were a Christian before. I said, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. And I know good and well how this family lives. And I declared my Christianity and it brought hardships. It, It brought family division and rift. As a matter of fact, one of the first confrontations I ever had with my family was totally innocent on my part. It was, my mother was going through my checkbook. I'd moved home because I, all I, all I lived with was drug addicts and, uh, drunkards. And we, I just stayed a mess all the time. And, and so I moved home to try to stay away from that kind of crowd and uh, get, get up, get my legs back under me and move back out. I, you know, we had good jobs. So I, I, w- I wouldn't be there long. But anyway, the, the thing is that, uh, uh, when, when she was, I was at work, uh, she went through my checkbook and saw that I was giving a lot of money to the church. And she said, how much money are you giving to your church? I said, I don't know, a, a lot. And she said, you can't do that. I said, why can't I do that? She said, Well, you just can't. I said, I can too. I said, why didn't you tell me anything about how much money I gave to the bartenders and the drug de- dealers? There was never a, a confrontation. Well, I was spending money on myself. That's okay. But at a drug a dealer and a, a bartender, come on. But to say, to say you can't, I mean, I gave everything for the devil. Why can't I give everything for Jesus? Well, you just can't. And it really made her get hyper Catholic that, during that period of time. And she went, she went super Catholic and, and, and was really mad at me for that. And it's just like and so the more I'd confess my Lord and Savior and, and, and the new birth and the less I had hot buttons that she could mash, the, the more uh, solid my, my witness became to that. And eventually that turned. But I, I want to tell you, it was the first challenge of Christianity. It did not send peace in my house and it crossed many family rifts and many family gatherings, as I would declare my positions in the Lord Jesus. And you find yourself uh, ostracized from because it's amazing how many family reunions are held on Sunday at 10 o'clock. It's amazing how many birthday parties will be Sunday at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock. We're going to purposely uh, set the agenda to see if you will honor the family or your church. What are you going to do? And I can tell you this is a no-brainer, hands down, ain't going to ever shake me. I'm going with the church every time, every last time. I couldn't care less about a bobblehead one-year-old birthday party or the 10th family reunion of the month. I'm telling you right now, we just have to make sure we understand we're going to plant our feet in the things of Christ. And stay with me if you still want to. You see, in the 80s, I remember when Dr. Dobson came on on, on the, the scene and began to tell us, we need to focus on the family. And boy, did we focus. We focus so much on the family that we've lost them. Mm -hmm. We focus so much on the family that we've made them into total absolute heathens. We focus so much on the family that there's no difference between the Christian family and the world anymore. That's how much we focused on the family. We're so family oriented and inwardly looking that we've lost our family. We've proven the words of Jesus that if you try to save your family, you're going to lose your family. The more you focus on, the more you cater to your family, the more you better seek first the kingdom of God and let God deal with your family. Keep reading. Look, the words of Jesus get awfully, awfully harsh right here. I did not come to send peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Enemies in your own house. And I've seen it, I've witnessed it. My wife and I have never had children. I I want to tell you, I thank God every day we have it. I'm so grateful. People say, oh, oh, we're so sorry. Well, no, 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 don't no, no, apologize. No, no. so, we look too happy to you. I'm grateful. I would hate to have my kid as my enemy. But I'll tell you right now, before I compromise my place with Jesus Christ, my kid would be my enemy. Or my wife or anybody else would be my enemy. I'm not compromising for the sake of some unity or oh no, it ain't happening. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now Jesus puts this in a context that I think we can all uh handle. And he says, he if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And so in this context and connotation, it's it's uh it's 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 palatable. Okay, I, I want to love Jesus more than I love mom and daddy. But when he puts the word hate in there, it just it, it's really gets intense. Keep, keep going. Watch what he says. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, could it be that the cross itself is defined and epitomized by this? You see, when you and I, when you and I begin to push, put family ahead of Christ and so many do. Oh, but we have the tournament this weekend. Oh, but the parties are this weekend. Oh, but the kids want to do this. Oh, but we you can't even commit to a church because the kids might want a different church. Uh, it, it's amazing to me what we do to cater to the ch- children as we lose them. Boy, the cross, it puts a demand on us we're not really ready for because it's been so watered down and so... uh sweetened up. It's, we, we've made it a nice little artifact. We've made it an artwork that we hang around our necks and we decorate our houses with them. But, but you see, the cross is a, a, a instrument of death. It's an instrument of cruel crucifixion and death. It demands that when the person takes up that cross, he's not coming back. The cross is not a place for rehab. It's not a detox. The cross is not a place to turn over a new leaf. It is literally a place where you will die and you're not coming back. You're not coming back. The person you were will not come back. I can suggest to you right now that the major problem with American Christianity is that we are not dead to self. We're so alive to self and we're so alive Well, I don't want my kid in drugs, so I got him in baseball. I don't want my kid in drugs, so I got him in sports. I got him in doing this, and I keep him busy, and I got him at the river, and I got him at the camp, and I got him hunting, I got him fishing. I got him busy, I got my kids busy. Yeah, boy, yeah, boy. You have made an idol out of your children. You cater to your children. You cannot save your kid. And I want to tell you another thing. Just because your kid is your flesh and blood doesn't mean they're saved. As much as you like to think, well, they're going to heaven, no they're not, not unless they get born again. you're <laughs> if you think your bloodlines pure enough to make your kid go to heaven, you are just mistaken. See only the blood of Jesus can make your kid right with God, only the blood of Jesus. And so. I think the next passage is, look, he, he, he gets to the end. He said, he does not take his cross and follow after me. is not worthy. This is a cross, folks. This is a cross. At some point, a crucifixion has to take place. Where do I stand with my family? He said, we don't love them. Yeah, we love our families. Do we want to just be cruel or mean or hateful or spiteful. It's nothing like that. But when Jesus says, follow me, he means follow me. And when we follow him all the way, there's going to be a death at the end of it. He who finds his life will lose it. Oh, man, go find yourself and you will be lost. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Lose your life for the sake of Jesus and find it. I want you to turn with me to the passage of Luke chapter 14. And we're going to get so very pointed in this one. I was studying over this and praying over this and dealing with it. I said, wow, this may be one of the most harsh messages that I've ever spoken. And I'm not and I didn't make it up. It's just uh, really just parroting Jesus. And this is a powerful, powerful passage. We're going to start and and we have to cover a lot of context here. Because without the right context boy, this, this really just won't drive home. So we're going to start in verse uh, 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him, with Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I think this sets the tone for the entire passage. You remember when Jesus saves us, he has called us to the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. We enter at the new birth, we enter another kingdom. And so I'm no longer a citizen of this world. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am in this world, but I am not of this world. Now, I am a good citizen. Of, uh, of my community. I'm a good citizen of my state, my nation. I, I obey the rules and laws best I can till they interfere with my relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you right now, I am a citizen of God's kingdom. First and foremost, I value my citizenry in God's kingdom that I serve a king, not a president. I serve a king and his name is Jesus. I, have a, I serve a king who has no term limit. He is going to rule and reign forever and ever. So he said, blessed are those who will uh, eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I intend to eat bread there. So keep reading. Then he gave, he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported those things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, and I'll get back to it. And I want you to notice excuses, the excuses that beg off from the kingdom of God that the Lord has prepared a great feast for us. As a matter of fact, uh, as I understand it, there's called the wedding, the marriage supper of the lamb. We are called to that great feast. And I can tell you, as we wait a long time for this, many, as we tarry, uh, get bored silly with it and just want to go do something else. Uh, and, And look, God has called us to the supper. He's called us to the feast, to the marriage. And The excuses are they're almost laughable if it weren't so damning. Think of it. How many people make excuses? How many people make excuses to not fellowship with other believers, make excuses to not worship on a continual basis, make excuses to not study the word of God or pray? or share Jesus with other people. The excuses are innumerable. Jesus only gave three, but they cover a whole lot. I bought a parcel of land. Well, I got some property and it's uh, taken up all my time. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm begging off, please have me excused. Uh, excuse me from participation for, for, for you know, uh, I'm glad I'm invited, but excuse me. I, I can't come. Oh, or I bought some work tools. I got me some oxen to plow my field with. I got, you know, the work's in the way. I got jobs, you know, and the the job, boy, I'm busy. You know, the ox is in the ditch. Got to get him out. Got to work, got to work, got to work. And boy, we make excuses as to why we can't participate in the things that God has called us to do. And finally, the big one. I married a wife. I got me a family. Excuse me. Excuse me, Lord. I've got a wife now and I've got a family. Thank you for blessing me with them. And I don't need you any longer. I have them. Or look, I'll call you when I need you. I can't be bothered with your feast days. This is the good part of this message. Wait till it gets stronger. Let's keep reading. Oh, I can hear the excuses. Man, I I, I can tell you right now, there are theologians going off right now telling How wrong Jesus is for saying such thing or how wrong I am for interpreting such a way. I couldn't be further off. You don't understand. I don't. I guess I don't understand. You don't have any children. Well, let me say this. The people that we quote the most about family are Jesus and the Apostle Paul. I'll rest my case. Go talk to their kids. All right. Here we go. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you command, and still there's room. Then the master said, Go to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come into my, my house, may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who were invited to my, uh, who were invited shall taste my supper. I want to tell you, there's so many people out there who've been called to the things of God and busy themselves with this life. You love this life so much that you've forsaken the things of God and you will not eat at the supper of the Lamb. You say, well, I'm once saved always. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you comfort yourself with. You are so deceived. You will not eat at that table. You're damning yourself every day with it. Well, I got to make a living. Yes, you do. But you don't have to worship your living or your family or the tools you work with or the land you live on. Let me say something about the land you live on. I have found in Christianity, one of the biggest problems in early church was blending the Old Testament and the New Testament and nothing has changed. That's the same today especially one particular thing called the law of the kinsman redeemer. See, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, you had a situation where God had a people and a place. The children of Abraham, known as Israel, uh, had a place, the land of Israel, uh, the the nation of Israel today. Uh, And so his people were... uh, Took a place. I mean, they literally, God gave it to them through conquest, and it is a embattled nation to this day because of the, 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 the promise of God. Now, in that promise, earthly longevity was the equivalent to the New Testament's resurrection of the dead. You see, in, in the earthly blessing there, your son, a man would raise up sons, who would continue His name and perpetuate His name and continue in the land throughout eternity. And that was the equivalent of eternal life. This is why when the Sadducees questioned Jesus about the resurrection, He said, a man had a wife and she he died. And his brother took the wife and he died also. And his brother and all seven brothers took the wife. So in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And he's trying to trick Jesus up and trip him up and he said, You do err, knowing the scripture nor the power of God. God said, I am not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so God is a living God. And he he and, and he said, so but he accused the Pharisees uh, the Sadducees of error. He said, You don't know the Scripture nor the power of God. And a misunderstanding. So today we have all this obsession with land and heritage and inheritance. And oh, but we got to raise up a name and this is the family land and blah, 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 blah. Uh, OK, well, OK, cool. So uh what is that concerning resurrection from the dead? Look, man, when you die, the buzzards going to pick your bones. When you die, they come and get it. And look, the, the next generation go sell it. So, this is a, another big time fallacy. Well, let's have twenty kids so we can have perpetual name in the earth. Well, that's not New Testament because all twenty of your kids may be demons. They might get up and grow up and serve the devil. Man, go read the lineage of some of the people. Some of the godliest people. Look at Eli's son, Samuel's son. Look at David's sons. My goodness. Stay with me. If you hadn't turned it off already, stay with this. Verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, this is so dramatic to me. He just gave this parable, if you would, of the great supper and the excuses being made. Now listen to this if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brother and sister, yes, his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Hate. Disdain. Despise. This is not a sugar-coated soft It's not love less if you love them more. This is very pointed if you don't hate them. This is so hard. I wrestle with this passage. I do. I mean, I don't know about hating anybody. I, I try my best not to hate anyone. The fact is he tells us to love our enemies. And so it has to be some kind of connotation there to it and context to it. But hear me carefully. This is not what this is the word he said. This word, the, it, go look it up in the Greek. It means hate. And so we can color it, soften it, make it sweeter. I think there's a reason it's very pointed and very harsh that there has to be the shock value. He dramatically turned to the multitudes and with loud declaration told them to hate their family. Wow. I bet that went over to that Jewish crowd real well. Family's everything. Family's the epitome of earthly longevity and carrying on the name and the land. And come on, Jesus, what are you saying? Yes, and even your own life. I want to tell you, when you take up the cross, It's a tool of severing you from the entire world. It will sever you from relationships, very close relationships. The cross of Christ will separate you. It's a sword. It's not peaceful. It's a severing tool. It separates you from this world and anything that's sold out to it. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. When you compromise at this place right here, you cannot understand the word of the Lord. You cannot do it. You cannot learn from Jesus if you've already compromised at that severing point. Oh, no, that can't be what Jesus wants from me. Well, you take that up with him. I am reading directly from the Bible. This is what Jesus said. Now keep reading, watch carefully. For which one of you intending to build a tower does not, now to- the word tower can mean a strong fortress and a place for observation. Watchtower could also mean a castle or like a big, uh, a big castle-like house. But does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man begin to build. And was not able to finish. How many have we seen start to run and quit? Put the hand to the plow and look back. Start to work and stop. Oh, this will be great. And as soon as things get rough, we stop. As soon as the foundation, I mean, even laid a good foundation. Boy, you got it all going there good, it's stout. But then you stop building you did not have you didn't count the cost probably you said well so what cost it's going to cost you something no the gospel's free yeah the gospel's free but i want to tell you taking up your cross is not free it requires so much keep reading or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. See, I think this is what most of us do when we when the warfare begins to hit our lives. We wave a white flag and, 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 and say, I want conditions of peace. I don't I don't want to argue with, you No, we don't want to. We don't want confrontation. We don't want to fight. We, you know, we're just you see Jesus told us to love everybody and everybody love us. And and we're supposed to be just nice people and tolerant. And this is so far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have made so many conditions of peace. Think this through. We want peace with the devil. We want to preach a gospel uh, that, that don't offend. Oh, come on. Then you make up a new one because the gospel will always offend the wisdom of this world clashes with the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the cross of Christ and it flies against the world. The world says, feed your flesh. The world says, be all you can be. The world says, cater to yourself, love yourself, promote yourself, project yourself. You, you, be, be. Uh, no. And, and the cross says die. So likewise, whoever does not of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I want you to see that forsaking all you have. See, it, it seems these requirements have just been loosened to such a degree that the just as I am gospel. Uh, which requires nothing but asking God to forgive you. A whole lot of times. Never changing, but forsaking all that you have. I remember when my wife and I began to this journey and began to forsake. I remember forsaking old friends, forsaking careers and jobs and money. I remember forsaking. uh, Wow. We had to forsake church folks. We had to forsake and walk away. How many times? How many times we said, no, no compromise. How many times have we said, no, I will not allow that I won't go that route how many times it's just too many to count and it costs and it costs and it costs but if you don't forsake all you cannot be his disciple see there has to be a sellout salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned it's neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, we start out great guns for Jesus and then compromise, quit building, desire conditions of peace, quit forsaking, but then all of a sudden just join in and compromise with our whole walk with God. And all of a sudden we've lost our savor. We, we're not salt anymore. We don't, we don't have the flavor of the life of God anymore. And we're not fit even for a dunghill, is what the word says. And I believe it describes so many today. Folks, the wisdom of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation. And the foolishness of preaching this cross, that if you deny, if you if you try to save your life, you will lose your life. You cannot save your own life. You cannot save your own family. And once you've tasted the salvation of God, everything else doesn't taste as well. And so anything the world offers as satisfaction, as as life, as life giving, it's like this, too, is vanity. Nah. Hope deferred or make the heart sick and you taste enough vanity in this world and say, no, 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 I want Jesus. I want him. I won't want nothing else. I just want the lordship of Christ. You see, he that hated his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. The more we say, God, I'm homesick. God, I don't fit here. The God I don't belong here. The more. The Lord, in a humble and contrite spirit, the Lord will draw near to you and his life will attach to your life. You find eternal life in that separation from this world. If you don't hate your life in this world, you cannot keep it to eternal life. Until you come to those conflicts in your own walk, maybe you've never met the cross of Christ. And maybe you've just heard the false gospel of today to get a better life. But God did not call you to a, a rehab or to a detox or to a, a better life or to a self-help program. God called you to the cross to die so that Christ could live in you and raise you up a new creature. Unless you deny yourself, take up the cross and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. And that doesn't mean just go to church a lot. Don't mean just sit in a pew a bunch unless you take up your cross and you begin to preach the cross of Christ. When you begin to confess him before men, you watch the toll it'll take. You watch what will happen in your environment. I want to tell you right now, when you begin to speak up for Jesus, hear me carefully. The Holy Ghost will show up and folk will get awfully uncomfortable. So get ready, folks. Don't compromise. Go forward with God. If you don't hate your life in this world, you cannot keep it to eternal life. Now, that's the second pillar of wisdom. You want eternal life? You better hate your life here. Let me leave you with that. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.